The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. Welcome to 2023. Yep. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's a new year. It's a beautiful new year. Happy We got the for... windows open. Yeah. It's, it, you know what? It's weird for being January 1st, and it's... Beautiful outside. Yeah, it's ridiculously nice outside. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in. This is a story that when I was researching it, I was like, oh, my God. And Chris is like, what? And I'm like, I can't tell you. You got to wait. Um, This story's insane. It's yeah. absolutely insane. I'm looking forward to it. If you like scary movies, this story is important. Now, it's not a movie. It's real life. And we respect that. Um, and I but, don't want to take away from that. But the way you were saying it was part of, like, this is kind of where a genre came from, right? Yes. This is the babysitter murder, the story the story of Janet Chrisman and Mary Lou Jenkins. Okay. So you've probably heard of the urban legend, the babysitter and the man upstairs. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nope. He's not really like a scary movie person, so I'll forgive him. But this is the gist of this urban legend. So the babysitter puts these kids to sleep upstairs and she goes back downstairs. Now, this is old. So this is before cell phones and caller ID and all that crap. Right. So she receives a phone call and she answers it and it's a man. And all he says is, have you checked the children? Ooh. Yeah. So she hangs up. Only for him to call right back with the same message. Have you checked the children? After numerous calls, she's called the police and the police are like, well, if he calls back, we'll trace the call. So he calls again and then the police inform her the call is coming from inside the house. In this, Okay, I've heard like I've heard this story. Yes. So in this urban legend... The kids are all upstairs and they've been murdered. And when the babysitter goes up, you know, she gets murdered. So that is the urban legend. And that part of it is completely a legend. It's a story. Um, It inspired. Scream. It inspired Scream. It inspired a lot of scary movies, actually. And we're going to talk about that. But that is the one of the oldest urban legends that I remember hearing. Right. You know. But it's based on a very true story. Right. The babysitter murder, the Janet Christman story. On the night of March 18th, 1950, Janet Christman was supposed to attend a party with friends. However, the 13 year old had recently purchased a burgundy pantsuit and she had purchased it on a payment plan for Easter and she wanted she really wanted to be independent. She wanted to pay that off herself. She didn't want her parents to have to pay for it. So even though she was supposed to go to a party, when she found out that 
one of the couples she usually babysat for needed a babysitter, she decided to babysit because she could earn the money to make that final payment. And that was really important to her. So she's showing a lot of responsibility for a very young girl. Yeah, it sounds like it. Definitely. Um, For this reason, she declines the party invite and instead agrees to babysit for a couple that was pretty good friends with her parents, Ed and Ann Romack. They lived in a remote part of Columbia, Missouri, with their three-year-old son, Gregory. Janet had babysat for the couple before, and she was excited to earn that money. She really wanted to pay this off. Right. Janet was born March 21st, 1936 in Boone County, Missouri, to Charles and Lula Mae Chrisman. Janet was the oldest of three daughters. In 1950, the family was living in Columbia. Janet was a few days away from her 14th birthday on the night she babysat for the Romax. She was an eighth grade student at Jefferson Junior High School. She played the piano and sang in the choir, and she was very involved in her church. She was mature for her age, so she made an ideal babysitter, and actually a lot of the couples really sought her out. They, she was their number one pick. A good babysitter. Right. On the evening of March 18th, the Columbia area was having, you know, one of those crazy Midwest, it's almost spring, so we need to have some winter weather storms. Right. They had freezing rain and sleet, temperatures in the 20s. So just a kind of a crappy night. Right. About 7.30 p.m., Janet arrives at the Romac house, and the Romacs were getting ready to go out to with their friends to play cards, which is something they hadn't done in quite a while because they had been busy. They had just moved to this house, which was, you know, sort of out of town in the rural area. Plus, Ann Romack was like seven, eight months pregnant and they have a Mm three-year-old. So they don't get out much. So they were really, really excited. This was, you know, probably the last time they were going to get to go hang out with friends before the baby. Mm Mm-hmm. Anne explained to Janet that Gregory was already asleep. The three-year-old was sleeping upstairs. And so really, it was going to be a pretty easy babysitting job. She basically just had to be there in case he woke up and, you know, make sure everything was safe. Ed directed Janet on how to load, unload, and fire a shotgun that the family kept near the front door for security. So from the outside looking in, like that may seem super, super weird, but this is it's, 1950. And it's rural. Rural Missouri. Rural, yeah. Like I don't fault people being like, hey, if somebody comes up, this is how you answer the door with the shotgun. Right. You I know? mean, like I'm not, I'm not concerned about it. It's kind of the same thing as like you would teach the babysitter how to work the security alarm, in my opinion. Right. No. And you that, know, like that's how I, how I see it. Right. I don't think he was teaching a teenager to fire a gun because he was worried something was going to happen. Right. This is. A, I think this was just the formality. Yeah. This is an in case shit happens. Right. And I just don't think it was a big deal. They advised Janet that if somebody knocked on the door, she should first turn on the porch light. But they said, leave the porch light off. If somebody comes to the door, you can turn it on. That way you can see out the door and see who it is. So they told her she was only supposed to open the door for somebody she knows, which I mean, like. That's pretty common instructions. Like, don't open the door unless it's somebody you're expecting. Right. Like you anybody, know, anybody that's ever had a babysitter at their house, like, you, you, it's the same thing. Right. Here's some money for food. 
don't answer the door, don't have friends over, my kids survive the night. Right. Like, if we if those four things happen, it's a good day. Right. So, Janet said, you know, she understood the couple left. Around 10 p.m., Ann called the home to check on Janet and Gregory. But the call went unanswered. Now, these are landlines. And so, I'm assuming it was either, like, busy or, like, off the hook from the way it's explained. Okay. Like, she wasn't even getting through it all. Okay. She decided it was no big deal that Janet probably just fell asleep. And she's like, it's fine. But about the same time, a call came into the Boone County Sheriff's Department. On the other end of the line, the sheriff could hear a young woman screaming and begging for help, asking police to get there quick. And then the line went dead. Yeah, because and this is the time before like 911. Like this is before 911. So when you had trouble you dialed either zero to get the operator and be like hey connect me to the sheriff's department or you just called the sheriff's department straight at you know straight after well and the thing is this was 1950 so it's not like today and you as somebody who works on the technology in 911 centers would really appreciate you know the technology we have today because even though they had enough of the call to understand that there was a real problem they didn't have an address they had no address yeah. And they had no way of knowing where this person was. Right. Or what to do. Yeah. And I mean, can you imagine being that sheriff, though? That, like, you took this call and you know that somebody desperately needs your help and you have no idea who it is or where they're at. Right. Well, and that, that would be shitty. Like, and it, like, well, that's why there's, like, movies. Uh, I forgot the one with Holly Berry. She was the 911 operator and the girl's kidnapped. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know where I'm at. And they can't get information for like I couldn't imagine having that kind of situation. Right. You know. Yep. And so she basically, you know, the the police officers, they were like, well, we just kind of have to wait and see if somebody calls back. Like, there's nothing else that they could do. God, like, I couldn't imagine being a cop. Right. And just have to be like, well, like, because it, it's, it, they called the the sheriff's office, so mm-hmm. that's countywide. So it's anywhere in Boone County. Right. Like, it's not like they could be like, oh, this is, we, we can focus on like a city or a town. Right. Or, they have know, nothing. You have, oh my God, that would suck. Yes. Around one o'clock that morning, the Romax returned home. And as they pulled in the driveway, they immediately knew something was wrong because the porch light was on. And they had instructed Janet to turn it on only if somebody knocked on the door And then once you see who it is, you know, turn it back off. So they're like, well, that's weird. They also saw a sawhorse on the side of the house right outside a window. So they're like, that's not something's something's weird. God, that's not creepy at all. Right. When they approached the front door, they noticed it was unlocked. Another thing they told Janet not to do. So now they're really like, what the fuck just happened? What's going on? And as soon as they open the door, they find probably has to be one of the most horrific things you would ever see on the living room floor was the lifeless body of 13 year old janet chrisman she was lying in a pool of her own blood which had saturated the carpet so they'd been there for a while yeah her legs were spread apart her skirt was pulled all the way up she had a severe head wound multiple circular puncture wounds to her face 
scratches to her face and arms, and she had the cord from an electric iron wrapped tightly around her neck. A few feet away was the phone, which was off the hook and lying next to her. She did apparently call for help. God. That makes me sick. Yeah. I mean, like, we watch scary movies and and things happen and, you know, it it just is what it is. It's a scary movie. But, like. This is horror personified. Holy moly. And this is before scary movies. Slasher films, anyway. Like any parent would, Anne immediately thought, where's my kid? Where's my baby? So she runs up the stairs and she finds Gregory sound asleep safe in his bed. It's as if he just like slept through the whole thing. I mean, thank God for small favors, I guess. Yeah. I mean, mean, it'd be worse if we're talking about a three-year-old too. Yeah, but we're still talking about a 13-year-old. Right. I mean, it doesn't make that better. Meanwhile, Ed was downstairs calling the police. The Columbia Police Department responded promptly, although the Romack house was technically outside of their jurisdiction. It was like 100 feet out of their jurisdiction. Yeah, but they're probably still the closest. So the Boone County Sheriff's Department responds also. Mm -hmm. And almost immediately, it becomes like a pissing contest as to who's in charge. So I would think if the two departments work together, it would be like the super force, right? Yeah, but that's not how, like, I don't know. Have you ever seen the movie Super Troopers? No. Well, it's a, like, they always have pissing contests between the local boys, like the local PD. Right. And the state troopers. Like, right. this is my, like, this is my stretch of highway. You, the, this is mine. Right. You guys don't are allowed. Well, instead of working together, they both launch their own separate investigations and would not cooperate with each Fuck. other. Fuck. So, Whatever. Well, and I could kind of see it like on the sheriff's department side because they had the call come in. They're like, fuck. Yeah. Like, hold, like, God dang it. This is. This is bad. Like, this is the call that came in that we had no clue about. So I could see why they would want to be in on it. You know what I'm saying? The scene inside was terrific. Was horrific. Absolutely horrific. Janet had clearly fought her attacker. She had defensive wounds. There were blood smears and fingerprints throughout the living room and kitchen. Police initially brought bloodhounds in and they immediately started tracing a scent. And they traced it about a mile down this rural country road before they lost the scent. So, I mean, they had at least something. Right. Like a general direction, at least where the guy was or the person was going to. Right. Footprints, fingerprints, and blood samples were collected from the scene. The autopsy determined that Janet had been strangled and sexually assaulted. Police noticed that the side window of this ranch home was broken with a garden hoe. This was the same window where there was a sawhorse just outside. So one of the departments believed that this was the place, this was the point of entry. And they said that the perpetrator had to have entered through the window after breaking it with the hoe. Yeah, but then that doesn't... Why is the front porch light on and why is the door unlocked? Well, and that's what the other department said. So they're not even agreeing on how he got in. So the other department is saying that he came 
in the front door. And they know this because I guess Ed and Ann Romack said they kept that garden hoe in the house, which was kind of weird. But yeah, so they're saying that was already in the house. So that wasn't something that was brought in from outside. And they said, you know, the porch light being on the front door being unlocked indicates that somebody rang the bell that Janet knew and she let them in. Plus, they said the shotgun sitting in the same place Ed Romack left it. Okay. So, yeah. if a window had broken, you would think her first instinct would be to go get the gun. Right. But if it's somebody you know that knocks on the door and you let them in, you're not alarmed. Right. And that's where my mind's tracking at this point. So, I mean, you have two departments investigating. They don't even agree on how the suspect got in. Police spoke with Janet's friends and family, but nobody knew of anybody that would do this. There was nobody that was harassing her or anything like that. Um, Because this is 1950 in rural Missouri, unfortunately, several black men in the area were questioned basically because they were black men and they were in the area. Um, There's a couple articles that are just, it's so painful to read now like 70 years later, 73 years later. But like the newspaper articles, just the tone of them. And they refer to these men in what I would consider derogatory terms, but it was something you could print in the newspaper in 1950. Right. Um, You know, and one person that lived in the area at the time said whenever a crime would be committed against a white girl they would go to the schools are still segregated Mm -hmm. they would go to the black school line all of the black boys up and go and look at each one of them for scratch marks jesus that's like this is the world we're living in at this time very very racist right uh police spoke to janet's friends and family and again nothing there's just there's no connection There was thought that the murder might be connected to another, though, that occurred in Columbia four years earlier. This was the murder of Mary Lou Jenkins. She was murdered inside her own home in 1946. Her murder occurred less than a mile from Janet's murder scene. Wow. Yeah. And there wasn't a whole lot of murders in Columbia around this time. so. Mary Lou was 20 years old when she was killed in an eerily similar fashion to Janet. She was quiet, attractive blonde girl who was very close to her family. She was home alone when she was raped and strangled with an extension cord. Her body was found in a pool of blood on the living room floor. Neighbors had heard screams that night, but they thought the noises were coming from wild rabbits. I wonder if wild rabbits scream like a human being. Don't know. Because this was the first murder in Colombia in quite some time, police were under enormous pressure to solve it. Right. I mean, enormous. And just a few weeks after Mary Lou's murder, another murder occurred. Floyd Cochran shot his wife, May, in the shoulder and neck with a 12-gauge shotgun. He then attempted to commit suicide, but was unsuccessful. 
So he left his house in, for his suicide attempt and police found him and they brought him in for a psyche evaluation. At that point, they asked his family to go and let his wife know what was going on. And that's when they found her dead. Oh, shit. And he had shot her. Only then, you know, they find her dead and there's just, it's just two murders that occurred in really close proximity. Right. There's no other connection. I mean, they occurred around the same time. And police were like, well, maybe he killed Mary Lou Jenkins. Right. So they bring Floyd in for questioning. Upon interrogation, Floyd, who was a black man without a lawyer, was questioned for two days straight without break. Holy shit. Like, this is definitely different times. Yeah, definitely different. Meanwhile, a mob formed outside the police station, ready to lynch the black man that was being accused of rape and murdering a white girl. 1950s, when lynch mobs were still a thing. (sighs) Floyd's only connection to Mary Lou was that he worked as a garbage man and he collected her garbage. Fuck. That's the only connection they had. After hours of interrogation without his lawyer, Floyd confessed to Mary Lou's murder. He later recanted his confession and said he only confessed because he was threatened by police and the mob outside of the police station. I believe him 100%. 100%. It doesn't, like, why would he shoot his wife? Like, I just, there's no connection. It doesn't make sense. And Mary Lou wasn't even shot. Right. Like, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. Floyd Cochran had significant mental and intellectual challenges. In fact, these challenges were so severe that he was actually rejected from the draft during World War II because of his mental and intellectual problems. So, I mean. Yeah. At a point in time when they're taking everybody. Right. On May 7th, 1946, Floyd pled guilty to murdering his wife And was sentenced to 15 years in prison. So you murder a black woman, you get 15 years. Right. Like, this whole thing just is too much. On May 27th, he stood trial for the murder of Mary Lou Jenkins before an all-white jury and a white judge. The defense team argued that the confession was coerced, asking it to be thrown out. But the judge disagreed and the jury was allowed to hear this testimony about the confession. Despite this, the defense presented an alibi that night, but it was Floyd's family, and so the jury did not believe his family. There was no evidence aside from this confession, but they found him guilty and sentenced him to death. Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. He's still a murderer. He murdered his wife, but apparently we don't give a shit about that because that's only worth 15 years. Right. (sighs) Wow. Wow. Floyd was transferred to death row at the Missouri State Penitentiary. He ordered a T-bone steak, french fries, scalloped corn, creamed gravy, bread, butter, cake, and coffee for his last meal. But he didn't eat a single bite of it. With a blindfold over his eyes, Floyd was led to the gas chamber where he muttered his last words, Mr. Stewart, like he was asking, and that was the name of the warden. He was executed September 26, 1947. Fuck. A lot of historians believe that he didn't even know what was happening to him. That's why he was asking for the warden. Right. Because his mental 
and intellectual problems were so severe that he didn't even understand he was being executed. Right. Despite Floyd Cochran's execution, though, multiple sexual assaults and peeping incidents occurred in the Columbia area between 1947 and 1950. Another black man, Jake Bradford, was arrested in 1949 after being caught peeping. He confessed to the rapes in the area and was convicted, but the conviction was later overturned due to evidence that police had coerced his confession by threatening him with violence. And he was, from what I can tell, he wasn't tried again. He was considered... um, Just a peeper? Innocent, basically. I mean, he was considered as somebody that was exonerated. Right. Following Janet's murder, citizens and law enforcement officers started to question the conviction of Floyd Cochran. Did they execute an innocent man? Uh, yeah. I mean... He killed his wife. He's not completely innocent, but, but that only would get they him execute him. They executed him for something he probably had nothing to do with. I mean, it just doesn't even make sense. Mary Lou and Janet were killed in such similar fashion and within such close proximity to one another that a lot of people believe that there was somebody else killing young white women. Right. And soon another suspect fit the bill for both crimes and came to light. His name was Robert Mueller. Mueller was born February 7th, 1923. He had been friends with Ed Romack since high school and was an Army Air Corps captain in World War II. In 1950, Robert was living with his wife in Columbia and working as a tailor. He was then 27 years old. Janet had babysat for Mueller, the Mueller family on multiple occasions. Robert Mueller also knew Mary Lou Jenkins from high school. Upon speaking with Ann Romack, she shared that Robert Mueller was really good friends with her husband, but she did not care for him. He kind of gave her the creeps. He would make sexual comments all the time. And this is 1950, so like it's really taboo. Um, and apparently he even made comments to Ed and Ann that he thought Janet's figure was developing nicely. That's not creepy at all. No. Um, and then he told Ed that he had fantasies of defiling young virgins. Oh, fucking hell. Jesus Christ, guys. Come on now. Right. Ann Romack said that on the day before Janet's murder, Robert was helping her hem a dress. You know, he works as a tailor, so he came to help her. And he was in her sewing room, which is where she kept the iron that the it was that cord that Janet was strangled with. And she said, you know, unless you knew where that iron was, that wouldn't have been the first cord you would have grabbed. Like somebody that grabbed that had to have known where it was. It was like put up in a cabinet in this sewing room. So she felt like it was possible that Robert Bueller was the murderer because he knew where that iron was. All because you knew what he knew where an iron was. Well, and because he's creepy. Well, I mean, besides that. Anne said Mueller had tried to grope her breasts that day. And that made her very uncomfortable. And she described him as, quote, a man who doesn't use words, he uses his hands, end quote. Starting to fit that 
fit the description of who we're looking for more and more. Yeah. He's Jesus. Gross. Because he was a tailor, Mueller also carried a mechanical pencil in his front pocket at all times. The morning of Janet's murder, Robert Mueller actually called Janet and asked her if she would babysit his children that night because he and his wife were attending the same card game as the Romack family. And she declined, though, and she said, you know, I'm sorry, but I've already told Mr. and Mrs. Romack I'd babysit for them, you know, maybe next time. Like, I know this is going to be off of the track a little bit, but can we get back to the day when there was, like, adult card games? Right. Like, can, like let's go over to each other's house and play, like, Pinochle. Right. Or, like, Cribbage or, like, let's, you, like, let's get that part, like, all the rest of the 50s can go the fuck away. Right. <laughs> but can we have, like, adult card night where everybody <laughs> just drinks and... We should. We should. Have, have our cocktails and... Yep. Yes. Anyway, continue. Um. So, the fact that he had asked her to babysit means he knew where she was that night. I'm just saying. To make matters worse, Mueller left the card game for about an hour around 10 p.m. the night of the murder. He said he had to go home to tend to a sick child. He said the doctor was actually going to stop by. And he wanted to meet the doctor there to see what the doctor had to say about his sick baby. And he had a wife, right? Yes. She stayed. But the wife couldn't cooperate that story? Well, here's the thing. She stayed at the card game and they talked to the doctor and the babysitter that was there. And both of them said, the doctor said I was never at his home that night. That's a lie. And the babysitter said he never came back home. Methinks we have the killer. Right. Ed Romack reported that the morning after the murder, Robert called him and asked if he needed help cleaning up after this horrific crime that had happened. But there was only one issue with that. Like, this is 1950. Mm -hmm. It's not like today where as soon as something happens, it's on Facebook and everybody knows. Right. At that point in the morning, the newspaper had not been published yet, so he shouldn't have even known about the murder. Right. So. I don't know. The rumor game is strong sometimes, though. I agree, but it's definitely a little suspicious. Like, once the rumor mill starts churning, like, shit can get spread pretty damn quick, but that is suspicious. It's, it's possible, though. It's possible, I mean, it is possible highly that... Highly improbable. It is possible that there was some gossip going on. I mean, oh, the police were out at the Romax. Right. And then, you know, I'm sure the coroner was out there, too. And then there was probably a Hertz. And officers who were, like, telling their wife. Right. I mean. Or whatever, so there's you know. A, the, the possibility is there, but it's highly improbable. Yeah. Mueller later told Ed Romack that he had a theory about how the killer got in the house. He said that he believes the killer did not enter through the window because that would have made too much noise. He said that he thought the window was probably a ploy by the killer just to throw the investigators off. He said that it would have been much easier for the killer just to knock on the door and say that Ed had sent him there to get poker chips for the card game. Wow. Right? If Robert Mueller was speaking of himself, it was very plausible that Janet would have let him in. Yeah. She knew, she knew him. He, and she knew he was there with the Romax that night. Like, it, 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 wouldn't have, it wouldn't have occurred to her that that was weird. Right. In May of 1950, police used this circumstantial evidence as grounds to question Robert Mueller. 
They did not go through the process, though, of getting a warrant and instead brought him out to a farmhouse where they questioned him overnight. That's odd. It's very odd. Following a night of questioning without a lawyer, Mueller was brought in for a polygraph. When this polygraphs is, were still viable. Yes. Or these quote these were viable. like the early days. So like that was everything. Yeah. You know, um, he passed the polygraph. Because we all know how easy it is to pass a polygraph. Right. Testing determined, however, that the mechanical pencil that he kept was consistent with the circular wounds on Janet's chest. Wow. Okay. I mean, this is before the days of DNA. Right. But holy smokes. I know it's all pretty much circumstantial, but oh my. Right. A grand jury convened, but the jury felt there was insufficient evidence to charge Robert Mueller with Janet's murder. Which, at this point, there is. Like, there's nothing that ties him beside, like, besides the hole that, perf- like, that fits the mechanical pencil. There's nothing that ties him to this case. Except, continue, I'll rant. I mean, in the 1950s, before DNA and all this different stuff... I almost feel like the amount of evidence they had would have been enough to convict. I mean, they had less evidence on Floyd Cochran and they sent him to the death chamber. But that's a black man. I know. Like I'm just that, saying. And I, and I hate to say that about American history, but well, in, in the 50s, like, there were, like you said, there was still segregation. There was still all this shit going on, you know, civil rights movement, shit like that. Like, there was, it was nothing. Like you, like you said, there was a lynch mob outside of the police department while he was still being questioned. Right. Not even for like, not even after he had been arraigned or anything. This is like, no, we're getting this fucker now. Right. Robert Mueller later sued the investigators for defamation and violation of his civil rights. He sought more than $300,000 in compensation. Do you 1950s terms or 1950s terms? Holy shit. Do you want to know what the police said? What? Quote, we did not get a warrant because of the public notoriety and embarrassment that may have resulted. End oh, go quote. fuck yourself. So basically they wanted to save him some embarrassment by not getting a warrant and taking him illegally out to a farmhouse. I don't think I don't think people in Missouri talk with that southern of a draw there, love. Whatever. Despite <laughs> all of this, he actually did lose his lawsuit. Really? Yes. That's that's kind of shocking because there is so much with him. Like, yeah. there's enough evidence in that case to be like, yeah, you guys fucking sure as shit. Like, you held him overnight in a fucking barn without a warrant. Right. Like, I don't give a shit what you're how what you're uh, what you're trying to do and keep his name out of the paper. But fuck, it was a very different time. Clearly. Um, afterwards, Mueller took his family and relocated out to the West Coast. He was never charged with the murder of Janet Crispin, and detectives refused to admit that they likely convicted the wrong man in the case of Mary Lou Jenkins. Jesus. It's quite possible Robert Mueller killed them both. I believe that he did. I did too. With all the circumstantial evidence that was, that points in his direction... Like, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know about Mary Lou. It's possible. Right. But I definitely think he killed Janet. Yeah, and they definitely convicted. I think there was a wrongful conviction and Mm -hmm. execution of a man. I think, yes, he was a murderer because he murdered his wife. But I think he was crazy, for one thing. Um, Not crazy. I don't think... No, uh, mentally disturbed. Like, mentally challenged. Like, I think that's the term that we, like... He was mentally ill. I don't even think... I don't think it was psychosis, though. I don't know. He tried to kill himself. So all people that try to kill themselves are crazy? No, but whatever. Point being, Floyd Cochran was not an innocent man. But I don't think he had anything to do with Mary Lou Jenkins' murder. No, not at all. He killed Mae Cochran. Right. That's his victim. Right. You know, and she kind of gets lost in all of this craziness. Right. You know. Killed by her husband and he was only going to get 15 years for it. Right. Like, what a crock of shit. I mean, he he got the death penalty, but... For, for the wrong 13, crime. For the 13-year-old. Well, the 20-year-old. Oh, I'm sorry. 20-year-old. Yeah. But, god damn. Yeah. The Romack family also moved away, unable to continue their lives in the shadow of this tragedy. I mean, I, I would never be able to live in a house again. No. Let something like that happen. Anne died in 1980, and Ed died in 2016. Ed's obituary lists four children, including Gregory who survived that night and lives now in Alaska. Janet was buried on her 14th birthday, wearing the burgundy suit that she had bought for Easter. That's so sad. That just is heartbreaking. Her family remained in Columbia, where her father died in 1974 and her mother in 2009. Her sisters continue to survive. Janet's murder has never been solved. And it's almost 73 years old. The case was the inspiration for the urban legend, the babysitter and the man upstairs. It's also known to have inspired the book and movie When a Stranger Calls, as well as sort of the loose basis for the start of the slasher franchises in horror movies, including Halloween and Scream. Did they ever, like, whatever happened to, uh, what's his name? The guy that we think's a killer. He moved to California and he died in his 90s. Oh, so he lived a full and happy life. Yep. Fuck. This is so much bullshit. So much bullshit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Could you imagine, though, like, I understand why they moved away, but, like, can you imagine being Ed and Ann Romack, like... You invite this girl to watch your child. Right. And she gets brutally murdered. And your child lives. And by your friend. Supposedly. Most likely. Supposedly. We have to put that in. I know. We have to put he that in was there never he convicted. Was never convicted. He was never even tried. Around, like tried for it. But holy smokes. Well, and like, let's just... I mean, at least in Ed and Anne's eyes, it seems like they believed Robert Mueller was the murderer. Right. So they have to live with that. Right. You know, not that it was their fault. I don't think it was their fault at all. No, but it's... And then you wonder, like, did Gregory know? As, like, I'm sure he did at some point. But, you know, like, when he grew up, like, how do you process that? Right. 
that some kid, like a kid was murdered, but you were spared. Right. It's God, just, yeah. it's an insane story. It's, yeah, and and I was, it's still an open case because it's never been solved. I was hoping this would have a happy ending and the person would have got caught because. <sighs> no, it's never been solved. Well, let's just like people like, I, I don't know how many times we've had murder, like murders on this podcast where the killer doesn't shut up. Right. Like if he, if Robert Mueller would have just shut up. He wouldn't even be questioned, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Him saying, you know, like all the shit he said, it's like, hey, hey, guy, you, that's that's a little sus- suspect. Right. You know, even the whole rumor, like we say the rumor mill, but him talking about, hey, do you need some help cleaning up? Yeah. Like, okay. Like, that's a little weird that you need to know that I need a cleanup job at my house. Like, and God, right. can you imagine? How do you clean that up? Like, how? So I know there are actually companies right, yeah, I, that are hired to come in and do crime scene cleanup. But I, most people, when a crime occurs, they don't continue to live in that house. Right. But you have to live so like. But other people do. They clean it up and they end up. I know. It, it ends up being sold. I mean, there's many okay, murder houses in the So let's talk like US. this is 1950s. How soon do you think that that cleanup company would have came out? I have no idea, but I do know the house is still there. It is now like on a cul-de-sac, so it's not as rural anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, it is still there in Columbia. God. It's just bleh. Yeah. Like I just, I love horror movie slasher films. But to know that it's like this is real life shit. Right. It's totally different when it's it's not pretend, you know. And you think about what that poor girl went through. Right. And her case is still open seven, almost 73 years later. Right. Um, Mary Lou Jenkins' case is, is technically closed because Floyd Cochran was convicted and executed for her right. murder. But I don't think her killer was caught. No, I don't think so either. <sighs> All right. That was a crappy ending to that story. Well, it's a doozy of a story to bring in the new year yeah and if you guys want any of the information that gina uses to write uh, to do these stories go to the midwestcrimefiles.com and you can look at the blog at the bottom of that blog is all of the references that gina uses to put these stories together for you it is 2023 and new year same us and we have a little bit of a special going um for january because We really want to thank our Patreon supporters. And we know that like over the fall, we had some tech issues and different things. And so we really just want to show our Patreon supporters a lot of love. And so there will be four Patreon exclusive episodes in January. The first is going to premiere most likely this Friday. Yep. And to become a member of Patreon, all it takes is... To be able, well, to be able to li- to listen to the content, listen to the content. It's five dollars a month, all the way up to whatever you want. But you know, if you guys just want to throw a dollar our way to help support the cause, and help us pay for all the crap, the new equipment that we have to purchase because our dogs because are idiots. dogs are assholes. We would like that. But besides that, guys, I think that's going to wrap up this first 
episode of the new year and we will see you next week bye